Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Smart Center's REIT Q1 2021 conference call. I would like to introduce Peter Ford. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. I am Peter Ford, President and CEO. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Joining me on the call today are Mitchell Goldhar, Executive Chairman, Peter Sweeney, Chief Financial Officer, Rudy Gobin, EVP, Portfolio Management and Investments, and Moral Pambianki, Chief Development Officer. The call will begin with my comments by Mitch, Rudy, and myself, followed by Peter Sweeney, who will talk about our results for the quarter, including IFRS valuations, liquidity, and our financial metrics. We will then be pleased to take your questions. Our comments will mostly refer to the outlook and mixed-use development initiative sections of our MDNA, which are posted on our website. I refer you specifically to the cautionary language on pages three and four of the MDNA material, which also applies to comments any of the speakers may make this afternoon. Today, we will provide you with the highlights of the quarter, update you on our development applications and major projects, as well as provide some insights on tenant and operational initiatives. Our focus remains squarely on our tenants and operating our existing shopping centers, while simultaneously creating value through real estate development. This mixed-use development process and the significant value it creates takes time and is specific to each one of our significant number of development projects underway for which Mitch and I will provide you some highlights shortly. We remain on course with each of these projects, as well as remaining on strategy with the portfolio. Within the context of real estate development, this strategy is moving us forward nicely with the rewards from the Transit City 1 and 2 Smart VMC condo closings last year, which generated $45 million in FFO and the closing of Transit City 3 this year, which will generate a further $20 million of FFO. The pandemic period has been unusual for all of us, with the initial shutdown, the restarts, the second and third wave shutdowns across the country. This impacted every one of us personally and from a business perspective to varying degrees. The pandemic added some challenges for us in the short term, but we remained firmly focused on our long-term strategy of growing our mixed-use development. Initially, the pandemic required our attention in assisting all of our tenants in various ways, and we continue to do so even now, keeping our shopping centers operating so as to effectively serve their communities. With more than 60% of our tenants considered essential services, and with food and pharmacy retailers in every one of our centers, 
everyone worked incredibly hard to maintain a safe operating environment for tenants and customers alike. But every tenant needed attention, and our organization stepped it up, working as one, finding individual solutions for many circumstances and tenants needing assistance. For this, I am both grateful and humbled by the strength and outpouring of ideas from our team. Our attention remains on assisting our retailers in getting back to opening their stores and operating at full capacity once the lockdowns are, liquid, are, are lifted. In addition to assisting our valued tenants, we are proud to have offered our centers to all levels of government and public health authorities to play a role in reducing the impact of the pandemic. Initially, we offered over 1 million square feet of our properties for COVID testing and PPE storage and had several institutions accept the offer. More recently, we have been contacted by government agencies requiring vaccination centers, which we have offered at no cost, and for which many um, have taken us up on the offer. And I'm proud to say we have over 250,000 square feet being utilized today for vaccine centers or other COVID-related uses. And with that, I'll pass it over to Mitch. Thank you, Peter. And thank you all for joining us today. As most of you know, we started with a vision some three decades ago to build retail centers with Walmart as an anchor. Uh, staying attentive to every detailed step, just as we do today with our mixed-use plans. This includes building a strong, dedicated team with an operating company around it. Our entrepreneurial mindset and culture makes us unique, first and foremostly in land development, as well as operating a large shopping center portfolio and platform. Our core competencies in land development make us very proficient in driving profitability through intensifying and repositioning many of our strategically located properties, <clears throat> almost all of which um, we know very well because we developed them in the first place. We didn't buy these properties finished <clears throat> as managers or asset managers for that, man, for that matter or with that mentality. <clears throat> we are a culture of change and we are always focused on change and we have the in-house capabilities of executing on that change. These great shopping centers with a strong tenant base and cash flows, outstanding access to and near highways and transit, and most importantly, most importantly, I have a phone call here that's, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Uh, and most importantly, in the midst of growing populations, particularly now, providing a solid foundation to the development of higher and better residential and other uses. Some investors and analysts are just beginning to acknowledge this and seeing the planning applications and physical development that is now underway 
in so many of our centers driving significant value, which is also growing and is also here to stay. This prolonged and challenging time has been difficult, but we have learned a lot. We have learned about the strengths of our portfolio. We've learned about the strengths of our people. And it has been particularly and peculiarly productive as well. Over the course of the last year, we have went, we have, we went on the offensive, accelerating the processes of obtaining rezonings and site plan approvals. It is through these approvals, land use changes, that we are able to drive value in our properties and our NAV. The lasting relationships we have forged over the last 30 years with Canadian municipalities through the development, the initial development of our properties, as well as government's general openness now to moving on intensification, is just, just beginning to pay off. On pages 21 to 23 of our MDNA, there's a growing list of examples of the active residential and other development applications made and rezonings achieved recently by our in-house development teams. When you look at this list closely, you will notice the significant amount of residential along with a variety of other new and exciting initiatives creating significant value, not recognized in our IFRS balance sheet values to date. The list on these three pages encompasses in excess of 42 million square feet of net additional density, mostly built on undeveloped land within our centers and a very limited amount replacing existing weaker retail. It makes for a dynamic, vibrant, and welcoming mixed-use center. Here are some of the highlights. A rezoning application, a rezoning application to be made in just this quarter for several projects, including Pickering, Eglinton East, West Side on Eglinton uh, at uh, Caledonia, Richmond Hill, Aurora, Whitby, and London. That's this quarter. Many of the future phases of the VMC are our lands in Laval Center in Quebec and our master plan for the many for many of our projects are not included, by the way, in that 42 million square feet we talk about. The several seniors' residences we are working on with our partner Rivera are also not reflected in our NAV. Recently, we obtained zoning approval for four residential towers at Barry's Waterfront for 25 stories each. In Mirabel, Quebec, north of Montreal, we obtained residential zoning last quarter to add 4,000 residential units on our 50-acre site adjacent to our outlet center. And there's residential all around us. This is a site where we recently doubled down and bought the interest from our partner, raising our interest from 33 to 66% after acquiring Simon's interest in the property. The first phase will be developed and will be about 170 apartment units um, sometime in the next 10 months or so from now. This 
quarter, we closed with uh, Canadian Tire on an 80-acre parcel along Young Street, immediately adjacent to our Aurora Retail Centre at Marie Drive. Supported by the municipality, we intend to undertake a mid-rise residential development. And finally, we obtained board approval this quarter to move forward with a 26-story residential tower in our Stony Creek project, um, just across from, uh, from Eastgate, and the acquisition of a site along Jane Street in Toronto to build a 137,000-square-foot new smart stuff and 126,000-square-foot smart stuff will now be built on our Hamilton Centre site. Now let's talk a little bit about the 57 new development initiatives already under construction or about to commence construction, as summarized on page 19 of the MDNA. Over the last several years, we have pointed out what we say, what we have pointed out to the community, the investment community, that it is part of our culture to deliver on what we say we will deliver. This was true with the first two towers at Smart BMC, where we delivered what is uh, what we promised, which is 100% occupied um, office tower with strong tenants in a downtown Toronto quality um, uh, office tower, and we delivered it under budget. The first office tower to be completed in the emerging Vaughan Metropolitan Center uh, won the Award of Excellence as Vaughan's Urban Design Award and Vaughan's Urban Design Award. Now for some specific project highlights. The Transit City City 3 is nearing completion with a scheduled closing in in over the next uh, two quarters, contributing approximately $20 million in FFO to go along with the $45 million million generated from last year from TC 1 and 2 as Peter mentioned earlier. What we have not yet, what we have not mentioned to date about those two um, events uh, is that that is based on our 25% interest. Going forward, uh, other than Transit City 4 and 5, uh, the REIT will most likely own a significantly higher percentage of condo developments and other developments at the VMC. Speaking of which, Transit City 4 and 5, 1,026 units are sold out, are all under construction, 20% deposits are in place from the purchasers, and we are nicely set up for more of this recurring flow of condominium cash flow from projects. Smart VMC, purpose-built residential rental, 451 units under construction, continues to gross well uh, continues to pro- progress well out of the ground. Go have a look. Better yet, rent an apartment. It's the only new rental apartment in Vaughan. And by the way, we, we own 50% of that. Smart VMC, the new 140,000 square foot Walmart store, which opened late last year on Applewood, allowed for the closing of the existing store on the Smart BMC site and freed up valuable land for residential density. We now held, we have now held our statutory public hearing and presented our residential proposal to the design review committee for that property. 
More importantly, we are now in for site plan approval for the first phase of this 4 million square foot intensification block. To develop 627 residential units in four towers on, at varying heights, which we expect to bring to market potentially later this year. Self-storage. In addition to uh, the acquired DuPont project and the three recently constructed properties, there are two others under construction, Oshawa South and Scarborough East, and six others in the process of obtaining municipal approvals, totaling nearly 1 million square feet of new development. With regard to our seniors' residents, let me again remind you that we are not in the government-funded long-term care facilities business. Instead, with our two partners, we are developing seniors' apartments with tailored amenities, six with Rivera and two with Group Selection. And lastly, we are about to commence a 174-unit rental building along with a 228-unit retirement residence at our Laurentian Place in Ottawa. Keep in mind a few general reminders about our mixed-use development pipeline and capabilities. Most of the development initiatives we are planning are on land we already own and have owned for many years, unlocking value supplemented by select acquisitions adjacent to our properties, such as our recent acquisition in Aurora for residential development, and Jane Street in Toronto for the smart stop with our partner. We use our fully integrated in-house development team to drive these initiatives. We know our markets, the municipalities, and every detail about our properties. We have developed in adverse conditions before and will continue to drive value for the long term. As an important reminder, our current IFRS value does not reflect our as-of-right residential densities or our potential densities on rezoning completion. After, after hearing all of this and reading the development initiatives in our MDNA, you can see that the pandemic did not slow our engines. To the contrary, we accelerated our transition to a more diversified REIT by moving approvals forward, which as stated earlier is where the significant value is created. And while unit price has been recovering a bit of late, it is clear that our current price is still not reflecting the value of this significant development potential. Take our large 73-acre property in Cambridge, Ontario, for example, which is included in our IFRS value book at $92 million and is now, uh, with the recently issued minister's order, um, we, are, we are able to, we are currently approved and zoned for um, 12 million square feet of mixed use. If you were to input even $30 per square foot, um, you would you, you you would conservatively be in the you know three to four hundred million dollar range of value of, of that property with that zoning. Um, it is is currently on our books for ninety two million. As prudent managers of not only our projects but also of our balance sheet, it is especially important to note that we will only move forward with capital-intensive construction issues as market conditions warrant, sufficient pre-sales occur in the case of condos, and only when financing is fully available and in place. 
Additionally, let me point out some of our capital recycling initiatives. We have undertaken nearly $100 million in strategic conditional deals so far. in 2021 at average low five caps the assets are non-core and the proceeds will help fund future development of our mixed-use initiatives now I will turn it back and turn it over to Rudy Coben thanks Mitch as Peter mentioned earlier the pandemic continued to affect our operating results through the first quarter of this year, albeit to a lesser extent than last year. Our operating shopping center portfolio remained at its strong 97.3% lease as of March 31st and remains focused on essential services and value-oriented retail. It is well suited for these turbulent conditions as evidenced by the following. One, though 60% of our REACH tenant base is comprised of essential services, what may be less known is that this increases to 70% for the markets outside the greater Vectum area, where our occupancy is very close to 100%, if not 100%. In these smaller markets, our shopping centers are often the essential service hub of the area and, all, and are, in all cases, anchored by a Walmart Supercenter. With the pandemic and the lockdowns, early indicators are that the demand for housing and therefore shopping in these somewhat smaller markets is increasing as people consider leaving the urban areas for the suburbs. This is good for our shopping centers and further enhances the opportunity to intensify on our existing lands in those markets. Number two, our tenants are quickly adapting by expanding their e-commerce, product lines, delivery models, pickup capabilities, space utilization, all while striving to maintain customer loyalty and sales. Three, Walmart, which anchors 75% of our properties and represents over 25% of our rental income, along with our family of value-oriented tenants, are well-suited to serving its community even during this pandemic. As we highlighted previously, Walmart plans to spend $3.5 billion over the next five years to make the online and in-store shopping center experience simpler, faster, and more convenient. This continued commitment to its retail operations in Canada speaks to this ongoing strength of Walmart and its growing ability to drive traffic to our centers. We are fortunate to have opened Last quarter in Vaughan, a new Walmart prototype store as part of the Smart VMC store relocation and the first of its kind in Canada, which includes a 10,000 square foot e-commerce omnichannel fulfillment center and a drive-through pickup facility. It will fulfill as many as eight times the online orders of an average Walmart store. Four, virtually all of our revenues from shopping centers are from open format outdoor centers, providing a safe and comfortable environment for customers to practice physical distancing while shopping for their everyday needs. Five, for Q1, we completed nearly 157,000 square feet of new leasing, even in these challenging times, 
which helped in maintaining our 97.3% leadership position carried forward from the last quarter. And six, that being said, to date we have renewal experience for Q1, though relatively flat at 0.2% with 2.7 million square feet renewing, um, was not unexpected given the current environment, but beginning to improve as existing and new retailers begin to see opportunities to expand their offering in different markets as populations begin to shift. We recognize the importance of small independent retailers to the Canadian economy. Our rent relief program and focus to date has been on supporting these non-essential small tenants, representing approximately 6% of our contracted rent. As you know, in 2020, the federal and provincial governments put in place the Canada Emergency Commercial Rental Assistance Program otherwise known as SECRA, to assist tenants, and we participated, providing relief to over 700 of our small and independent tenants. While the federal program ended in September, it was replaced by the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy Program, which is assisting tenants directly, those who are qualified. Many tenants are still suffering, and with the continued shutdown, and we are assisting where we can and prioritizing those most in need. Last year, there were announcements of several tenant restructurings during the COVID period, either through CCAA or bankruptcy filings. Major name, names, as you know, such as Moore's, Comark, Sale, Reibens, and Aldo. Collectively, and perhaps fortunately, less than a third of the stores of these tenants actually closed in our portfolio, approximating about 415,000 square feet, or 1.6% of gross revenues. The remaining two-thirds, or 128 of the stores with these same tenants, have continued to operate. For the most part, these tenants have expressed their strong interest in remaining in our Walmart anchored centers. Now, with the 415,000, 145,000 square feet were two sale units, Etobicoke near Sherway Gardens and in Vaughan at our 407 redevelopment site. We have now conducted site visits with interested retailers for both locations and have received an LOI for one which we are evaluating. Ultimately, the higher value use is to convert to residential or other mixed use over time as we obtain appropriate municipal permissions. But we will continue to maximize cash flow in the interim with strong tenants wanting a presence in the market. With the remaining 270,000 square feet of vacancy from the balance of the COVID-related bankruptcies, we will continue our routine work of filling up all of those with the best fit tenants for each center. In addition, due to the, res the growing resiliency of our remaining small tenants, there have been no further filings in 2021 affecting our portfolio. As shown in our MD&A, cash recoveries from our tenants continue to improve. For the first quarter, we recovered a full 94% of tenants' rents, an improvement over the prior quarter and showing signs of continuing to improve. And to avoid any confusion, these gross billings used in this calculations are based on rent rules, excluding that closed during and through CCAA. Regardless, our same property metric did reflect a negative 3.7% over the prior period, largely due to the lower renewal rates quarterly and the slight higher vacancy, albeit we maintain our 
0.3% as we closed the prior year. And with that, I will now turn it over to Peter Sweeney. Thanks very much, Rudy, and good afternoon, everyone. We have encouraged the capital markets to focus on our commitment to the Smart Center's balance sheet, our unyielding focus on conservative capital management, our discipline in the deployment of capital on developments and acquisitions, and our continued desire to match gearing and similar debt levels to the long-term nature of our assets. This strategic focus on long-term viability and growth continue to allow us to manage through this period of uncertainty. In this regard, we note the following highlights for the first quarter of 2021 as compared to the comparable quarter in 2020. Number one, in keeping with our strategy to repay maturing mortgages and to grow our unencumbered pool of assets, unsecured debt in relation to total debt increased to 69% from 66% and our unencumbered pool of assets continued to grow, increasing by approximately $263 million to $5.9 billion. And as we maintain our strategy to continue to repay maturing mortgages, we expect these metrics to further improve in the future. Secondly, our triple B high credit rating from DVRS Morningstar permits us to continue to attract debt capital at low interest rates for longer terms. And in keeping with our strategy to take advantage of lower interest rate environments, pursuant to our refinancing activity over the last 12 months, our weighted average interest rate for all debt continued to decrease, and as at March 31st of 2021, was 3.26% as compared to 3.41% for the prior year. This 15 basis point reduction is expected to yield approximately $7 million in savings in annual interest costs. And our weighted average term of debt was 5.1 years as compared to 4.8 years last year. And lastly, number three. Our interest coverage ratio, net of capitalized interest, was a very strong 3.6 times multiple. This, in spite of the impact that COVID-19 has had on our operating results over the last 12 months. And it further confirms the foundational strength of our core business. In addition, our adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple was 8.6 times once again, reflecting the business's strong and very stable ability to fund its obligations even during these most uncertain times. From a liquidity perspective, as we look to the immediate future and continue to manage through the current uncertain capital markets environment, in addition to the conservative debt levels noted earlier, please also consider that at the end of the quarter, 
our liquidity position exceeded $1.1 billion, which is represented by approximately $400 million in cash, our undrawn line of credit, which stands at $490 million, and our $250 million available accordion feature. Note, please, that $323 million of this cash is earmarked to repay our Series T debentures that mature in June of 2021. And the balance is expected to be used to fund costs associated with our development pipeline. Note also that we continue to deploy a strategy that permits construction of any large development project to begin when it has appropriate project financing in place to ensure project completion of our various development initiatives. And we are presently speaking with lenders concerning construction financing alternatives for several of our proposed developments, all of which are expected to begin construction this year. And these include a large retirement home project in Ottawa, several apartment building projects in Ontario and Quebec, and lastly, a large townhome project in Vaughan, Ontario. Our liquidity position was further strengthened in 2020 with total proceeds in excess of $53 million being received from the closing of over 1,100 units in the first two phases of our transit city project. Similarly, in 2021, we expect to receive approximately $25 million in total proceeds from the closings of the 631 pre-sold units in the third transit city phase. The cash flow generated from these closings further fortifies our liquidity position and supports our distribution strategy. As Mitch uh, mentioned earlier, what is important to remember is that the contribution levels experienced in 2020 and those expected in 2021 represent only a 25% interest in these respective transit city phases. As we plan for the imminent launch of our next phases of residential development at Smart VMC and elsewhere, it is our expectation that Smart Center's ownership share in these projects will be substantially higher. Please also remember that we expect this recurrence of FFO and cash flow from the closings of condominium townhome developments to continue for many years to come. Notwithstanding the challenges associated with COVID-19, as we have seen since the third quarter of 2020, our collection levels continue to show improvement. Also during the first quarter, our provisions for bad debts were significantly reduced from our experience in 2020. In this regard, our expected credit loss provisions in the first quarter totaled $2.3 million as compared to approximately $30 million in ECL provisions that were taken for the nine months ended December 31st of 2020. From a valuation perspective, the stability that we experienced in both the third and fourth quarters of 2020 continued into the first quarter 
with cap rates, discount rates, and other modeling variables remaining substantively status quo and resulting values remaining relatively stable for our portfolio of investment properties. After the valuation erosion that was experienced during the first and second quarters of 2020, which was primarily reflective of additional vacant space and the additional time expected to backfill such space in the portfolio, much of which resulted from the COVID experience, this first quarter's experience is directionally important because it further confirms that the market continues to stabilize, which should further improve our credit metrics into the future. As we have said many times in the past, it is important to remember that we have not factored into our IFRS values any value that accrues from future development of mixed-use space. And as Mitch had pointed out earlier, these future value increments that are expected to be derived from our proposed mixed-use initiatives are expected to have a meaningful impact in the growth of both FFO and net asset value. And with that, I will now turn it back to Mr. Ford. Thanks, Peter. So, as you can tell, our organization remains focused on mixed-use intensification while taking care of our tenants and properties. With $45 million of profit last year from TC1 and 2, we are now expecting a further $20 million this year from TC3 in Vaughan. We have an improving rent collection picture and payout ratio, and we are delivering on the 57 construction projects underway with more to follow. We are maintaining and improving a leading occupancy level of 97.3% throughout the year. And prudent and strategic acquisitions and with established partners, as well as targeted capital recycling. And a strong focus on cash flow management and our balance sheet further enhancing our ability to fund all future capital requirements. And with that, I'll now turn it back to the operator to coordinate us in addressing your questions. Of course. Um, so just to remind everyone to ask a question, please press zero one. And uh, we do have a few uh, questions queued up. First question comes from Sam Damiani from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc 
Thanks. Uh, just a just a quick one for me, and then I'll turn it back. Is uh, you know some of the uh, NOI decline in the quarter was due to a decline in GLA as properties are transferred into HUD. Um, could you just tell us for the rest of 2021 if you expect further GLA of any consequence to be to be transferred into HUD? Um. Yeah, I don't know, Rudy or Peter. Yep. You wanna... Yep. Yeah, the 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 decline in the same property, Sam, is is you know it's a result of uh, m much more than that. It was a result of uh, lower occupancy, general occupancy, because there were bankruptcies that I mentioned earlier. Um, it's a result of the uh, lower rent from some of the remaining tenants who are renewing, and you saw the renewal. You, you saw the renewal rate being fairly flat, given the, the condition of the markets with some tenants who are, again, the non-essential tenants, and then a very, very small portion of that would have been redevelopment. Um, for the balance of the year, we don't see much in terms of that because, again, we have no, um, uh, no sight of any uh, bankruptcies or filings, um, and as such, I think you may see the opposite. You may see some stuff come out of redevelopment um, once we have identified the the use, the alternate use for, the, for such space. So uh, not much expected for the balance of the year. Okay, thanks. I'll turn it back. Okay. All right. Um, does that answer the question, Sam? Yes, I'll turn it back for others to, to ask questions. Perfect. Next question comes from Mike, uh, Michael Marquides uh, from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you, everybody. Um, a couple questions on my end. I guess the first one, I'm not sure if I heard you correctly, Mitch, during your comments, but did you mention that you had $100 million of additional um, deals in terms of strategic sales that were ending in this year? Yeah. Okay. Um, could you perhaps give us a little bit more color to some Number of properties, um, what markets, and uh, maybe the price per square foot. Well, um, well, first of all, I guess I should, I mean, uh, mention that this is something we may have more of. Um, be a probably a fairly regular occurrence in the next, you know, number of years, not just. Uh, you know, not just a couple non-strategic, non-core assets, but uh, but maybe in some cases even some some land. But um, uh, those are looking at, I think, um, low fives. Uh, is that, uh, I believe, uh, where we are with respect to the cap, cap rate? Yeah. I mean, these are things that are, I believe, you know, just, you know, we're we're just giving you some visibility on this, but uh, um, you know, they're they're sort of they're under contract right now. Okay, and uh, sounds like there's not a wholesale bigger, larger program. It's just this is something that perhaps maybe there's a, more of a recurring. Yeah, there's a couple of assets that are not our. You know, we just don't see the. Uh, you know, they're just not strategic um, for where we're going and they don't have the the potential um for you know we don't see the potential for 
or intensification or repositioning or redevelopment. So, you know, there's there's a few those situations where at the right cap rate, um, you know, we we will sell. And you know, we're not we're not yeah we're not just you know sort of blanketing the market with a whole bunch of things. We're just uh, selectively we're fine with centers holding them and managing them. But ideally, you know, over the next few years we'll you know we'll we'll dispose of this you know dispose of the non-strategic ones. Okay, great. Good to hear. Um, second, I think you guys have emphasized the point that with um, the current, uh, with, I guess the future phases of transit city condominiums that haven't started just yet, that the REIT will have a greater than 25% interest. Should we interpret that to mean that it would just be um, the two partners going ahead and you wouldn't have a condo developer um, involved, or would it just be that the condo developer would be involved and have a lesser stake? I mean, we've built, we, you know, you kind of remember for these three 55-story towers to basically be, well, they are done. Two of them are completely closed. One of them started closing yesterday. Um, we, you know, made the deal with CenturCourt, uh, what, five years ago. So in the five years since then, uh, by the way, they've been, you know, fantastic partners. Um, could not ask for better partners. But during that five years, we, you know, we we've built our own residential program. Keeping in mind, this whole initiate initi- these initiatives go back, you know, six seven years ago. Um, it's not COVID, but everything just gets blurred together. So in that time, we have built a residential department. We are now in a position to develop, you know, our own in-house um, condos and residential uh, rental. So. Um, so we're doing that, and we're going to do that. So when we did the deal with Centercourt, we they they bought in at you know a, a then market price, um, and now we've enjoyed the benefits of our share of the profit, but at 25 percent, you know, it's still significant. But just imagine that back then we were selling Transit City One and Two at like 700 and something a foot, maybe 705, 710 a foot, Transit City. Well, maybe we average one, two, and three, probably uh, about seven, ten a foot. Um, the market today, across the road, I believe their last sales were over a thousand dollars a foot. Um, you know, and of course we, you know, we we, we our land price. So we, we we're not we don't have to acquire the next phase and the next phase. So you can just imagine on VMC alone. Um, the subsequent phases, like you know, that we'll be building most likely without a, an outside partner, um, you know, will not just be at 50% ownership for the REIT, but also, you know, at uh, higher per square foot sale price. Okay, great. Thank you. And last one before I turn it back, maybe this one's for Peter Sweeney. Um, in your MDNA, you've got committed and uncommitted retail developments, and I think if I add up the total. Invested costs um, again for committed and uncommitted would be about $200 million. Um, carrying value of your property under development, and this would just be on balance sheet, not the uh, joint ventures, you know, Richmond City and all the other good stuff. So, um, just curious if you could reconcile that $400 million differential. Uh, Mike, it's a, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't have the information in front of me. Perhaps I can undertake to get back to you after the call. That'd be great. Okay. Thank you. Mike, I wanted to also clarify something. 
you know, important, tangible to your question. One is we intend on proceeding with uh, uh, another VMC uh, residential phase there um, this year. That means going to market. Um, so, and maybe two, uh, maybe two uh, um, additional phases. And each phase will have, you know, at least one, if not, you know, two towers each. Um, and secondly, I just want to point out, of course, you know, we always will evaluate the pros and cons of bringing in a partner. So if there were some, if it had merit, we might still do that. Um, but at the moment, um, that's not what it's, it's not, it's not how it's looking. Excellent. Thank you. I'll turn it back. All right. Uh, next question comes from Jenny Ma from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you and good afternoon. Um, I wanted to ask about the leasing spread, uh, and I apologize if you addressed this with Sam's question. I got cut off. So I'm not sure if you did. Uh, but it looks like for Q1 it's gone flat and, and was actually marginally negative when you exclude the anchors. Can you give us some more color on what's driving that? You know, is there some sort of um, slight changes in the lease structure or, or pushing out some rent steps uh, in, in later years? Because um, it looks like it was on pretty good volume. Um, anything would be helpful and, and uh, any guidance on sort of how to think about that number going forward? Yeah, I guess Rudy. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yep. Uh, hi, Jenny. The yeah, the the spread um, that's happened in Q1 uh, is really a result of um, the I'm going to say 10 to 12 um, CCAA bankruptcy filings prior year, where in those proper in those uh, tenancies where they've closed, they've closed the one quarter, but the other or the one third and the other two thirds or three quarter that remained open. We, we reduced the rents a little bit because they wanted desperately to stay in our Walmart anchored center. So when you combine any maturities that are happening in this quarter in this COVID environment, and because it got prolonged, you combine the two effects of a, renew, a renewing tenant. We had a small number of the fashion tenants. None of these, by the way, were the essential tenants causing this, but the fashion tenants, um, apparel type tenants, um, just struggling through it and asking for rents that in the short term we lowered. So I don't think this is an ongoing thing. This is something that you've seen now. And because we because 2020 was negotiated, by the way, sorry, 2021 was negotiated, by the way, mostly in the latter parts of 2020 because everybody would give their notice then and then we would negotiate. Um, that's the result of, of, of the pandemic and the bankruptcies um, and the maintaining the tenancies that are there. Um, in a shorter-term rental structure to get them back to full rents after the full, after that year. So it, I think you'll see a good recovery of that, but that's that's the cause of it. It's a, a small number of tenants out of the out of the three almost three. I think it's 2.7 million square feet we renewed uh, so far this year. Yeah. Okay. So is it fair to say that if you X out those tenants, that the rate you've been getting on renewal would be consistent with that sort of low to mid single digit you've been tracking prior to the pandemic? Correct. Correct. And we've done that. We didn't disclose it that way, but but that's correct. Because again, there were there were enough of them that we didn't want to say except for, you know, these, but, but that assumption is accurate. 
Okay. And then another little growth that you got, I guess, from the anchors, um, would that primarily be more grocery-oriented anchors in the portfolio? Yeah, it's the grocery, it's the grocery, it's the it's the bigger bigger guys as well, Canadian Tire, Lowe's, um, you know, anyone, as you know, in our anchor list, which is over 30,000 square feet, is considered an anchor, so it's, it's all of those, yes. Okay, but that's fair to say sort of non-Walmart anchors. Correct. Okay, great. Um, and could you just remind us, uh, just given the discussions about um, construction costs going up across the board, uh, in, in your developments that are currently underway, um, could you comment on, on how much of those costs have been fixed already? Uh, well, everything that's under construction in VMC is locked in, um, which is great. Actually, we didn't even experience increases. We got in just early on TC4 or 5, 4 and 5, which was great. Um, yeah, and... Uh, but uh, any construction, anything that we haven't commenced construction on in 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 the GTA has not been locked in. Um, but you know the projects, for example, that are under construction in you know in Quebec um, are locked are locked in. So it's fair to say anything that's under construction right now is locked in. Um, okay. But I will say that construction prices in the GTA for sure are. Um, you know, are, are are higher. There's no doubt about it. Okay, great. That's that's helpful. Um, and then, you know, this quarter, you guys had maintained your distribution and highlighted the the strength of your balance sheet. I'm just wondering when you're thinking sort of longer term about your development funding. Um, you know, does it suggest that that you're going to maybe push the leverage a little bit? Um, to fund that, or sort of wrap up some of the dispositions you mentioned. Uh, you know, which lever do you think is is uh, is the one that you would prefer to push? Yeah, we we prefer to you know try to maintain our debt levels uh, where they are. So the so lots of other levers uh, we mentioned already the um, sale of non-core assets. Um, obviously, we could bring in some partners. Um, you know, more passive. You know partners into some of the developments, the new uh, new developments. Um, you know, there's other you know, there's other levers, but uh, the other lever we have is just to not actually, you know, commence a development. Um, if it's going to move our debt levels into you know into an area that we're not we're not comfortable but really the driver's gonna be the level of debt. Okay, great. Um, and, and with regards to the distribution, like, is that is that a lever that you would push, or is that something that you're still evaluating at this point, or are you pretty committed to maintaining at current levels? Well, as you know, it's a monthly decision, and uh, um, so and it's a board decision. So, you know, um, obviously, uh, we've intimated in the past, uh, you know, you know that we're we're uh, we're comfortable with our distribution based on everything that's going on right at the moment but of course you know things can change um and uh, we'll monitor that so um you know obviously we'll leave that decision to the board every month okay fair enough um and then my final question is with regards to the the 2.3 million dollars of expected credit losses 
does that number represent uh, a real decline sequentially, uh, which was nice to see, um, and, and does it include any reversals of uh, previous bad debts taken in 2020? Peter? No, I think, Jenny, it's fair to say that it, it principally reflects uh, the business's performance in Q1 and expectations for collections of remaining amounts outstanding. And I think, as I mentioned, it, it's a demonstrable improvement over the experience of last year. And, you know, you sh we have been trending this way. You'll see in Q2 of last year, I think we provided for about $15 million, $1.5 million. In Q3, it was closer to 10. Uh, in Q4, it was closer to 5. And so, at least directionally, the Q1 experience, 2.3 million, sort of follows that uh, that trajectory that um, that we've been following through for the, almost now the last 12 months. Right, that's uh, that's definitely nice to see. Uh, that's all for me. Thank you, and I'll turn it back. All right. Um, next question comes from Pammy Burr from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, hi everyone. Um, maybe just uh, sticking with the, um, the leasing spreads, I'm just curious, how long would those, uh, you, you mentioned short-term rent reductions, how long would those be in effect for? And then secondly, um, you know, do any of these leases perhaps uh, include, you know, rent bumps on an annual basis after the initial reduction? Yeah, well, that really answer that, but I would just want to point out many of our Renegotiations around that um, also included things to clear the way for, you know, for for development um, as well. Keep that in mind, but Rudy. Yep. Uh, with regard, uh, Pammy, with for the tenants that did come to us and ask that question during, you know, when they were maturing, there were two categories. The first category are the tenants who says we're struggling a little bit and we need some help. And when they renewed, we renewed them, and that would be for a one-year term generally. And then it would bump back up after the year. Um, some of them were even shorter term, uh, meaning even late last year when it came to the, the last part of the year. Uh, and, and, and because the pandemic carried on, uh, you know, we would extend that for a few more months. So generally it's, it's that. Uh, some tenants came to us and said a fewer said, we would like to renew, but can we renew for a shorter term? And we said we will need flexibility in that lease because, again, and these are the small, you know, think of the, the smaller tenants, the, the, the apparel-type tenants. So the combination of the two, both would end up being short-term, and both gave the landlord the flexibility to either increase the rent or take control of the space after that initial year. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, then just maybe uh, coming back to the comments around um, non-strategic assets and dispositions, in that $100 million that uh, you mentioned, Mitch, or, or would those uh, transactions be you know, relatively in line with your IFRS values? I think you mentioned low five cap rates. Just curious on that. And also, um, are any of those uh, Walmart anchored centers? You're really interested in that. I... Um, um, Yes, uh, in one case, um, but you know you'll understand better later um, on that one. Um, I guess Rudy, I think they're probably uh, in and around uh, IFRS. Yeah, 
they are, they are actually, you know, you may have one or slightly lower, but collectively they are actually higher than our RFRS values that we currently carry in our books in terms of the value that uh, we have um, contracted. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh, and then just lastly, coming back to the other comments, uh, I guess, about um, the successful rezonings that were um, completed in the quarter. Uh, I'm just curious, and you also mentioned, sorry, the, the Cambridge property, um, you know, what you think, even at a low density value per, per buildable foot, what that could be worth. I'm just curious, can you remind us, um, first of all, was there any gain or markup recorded on the successful rezonings in the quarter? And the, which it doesn't appear to be the case, but um, and then secondly, what is your approach to you know marking up the assets once successful zoning is is achieved? No, I don't. We have not marked up, uh, you know, our properties on rezonings yet, um, including I don't think uh, even BMC um, reflects you know full OP secondary plan. Uh, end zoning permissions, um, the vacant land there, um, which is today, you know, extremely valuable. I mean, it might be worth, uh, you know, who knows what $100, like $100 a foot probably if there's, I'm just going off the top of my head, if it's, uh, you know, if there's, don't know, six, seven million square feet still yet to be built at the, um, on the, on the, on the, uh, on the REITs side there and um uh now you'd have to back out the existing um you know the existing IFRS value there but just to unlock it you know cuz you know read on top of that um I'm not I'm not sure if you could even I don't know we we could probably say there's virtually no value right at the moment but we are looking at that um we have discussed it and we are contemplating at what point it is appropriate for us to um you know, to adjust our values. Um, we want to make sure, you know, we continue to be conservative. Um, you know, so we're taking a long-term approach to that, but we are discussing that inter internally. Okay, and then just to be clear, when you, when you do, let's say, it, uh, when you are involved in a transaction where you, say, sell an interest to a co-owner uh, on a specific asset, would you then mark up your share of what you retained? Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Thanks very much. But, hold on, uh, Pommy, it's Peter Sweeney. Just for clarity, we would only mark up to the extent that you know it, it represents that portion of a property. So, for VMC, for example, we, if it was a single phase with a partner, we would only mark up for that that pro rata share of the entire VMC. It wouldn't be for the entire uh, the entire VMC space, so to speak. Right. Right. Which in in that case, you know, you've got maybe three or four or five acres that's been used for um, the five towers, um, four of which are in um, uh, six towers, four of, five of which are in a partnership, um, you know, and there's 50 acres plus or minus there. So, yeah, each one of those those individual towers have been, um, have been adjusted, but the vacant land uh, all around it has, has not been. Thanks very much. I'll turn it back. All right, and um, before we go to the last question in the queue, we currently have in the queue, just to remind everyone, if you want to ask a question, please press zero one now. 
And the last question we currently have in the queue comes from Tal Woolley from uh, National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon, everybody. Hi. Good afternoon. I just wanted to start with the collection rates. When do you see those getting back to normal? Well, in, first of all, I mean, obviously a lot of it's sort of probably more or less common sense. I mean, we, we normally would have collected 99%, you know, plus. Um, we collected 94%, so we're talking about 5% here uh, overall. So, but, um, I mean, indications are things are, are normalizing in that regard. And uh, so, um, and getting stronger, uh, steadily stronger. So I guess it'll be somewhat probably back to normal when, you know, when, when we are all more or less open, keeping in mind that uh, so much of our stuff is essential. And so it's really the, um, you know, the 5 6% of our portfolio, which are smaller retailers that are, you know, disproportionately affecting that. So, Rudy, did you want to maybe also... Add some things to that. Yeah, I would say if you look back at the years pre pre COVID, what Mitch said is exactly right. We were between 99 and 99.7 percent, uh, you know, on on 800 million dollars of revenue in in those prior years. We may have had, you know, one to two million dollars tal of bad debts, and that was it. So, uh, you know, as soon as this um, mess we're in is over. I expect that we will return to that um, because the, the tenants that uh, don't make it through won't, and the tenants who have adapted through this environment um, would have come out stronger, as you see in some of the retailers who are releasing results are doing very well, um, and some and some still struggle because of the closures. So um, I expect we go back to the the norm of the pre the pre COVID uh, period. And have you started to have thoughts about how like Let's say we get past, I, I can't remember the exact month when SERS starts winding down. Like, if these rates don't improve, what what are sort of, how are you thinking about how you'll, uh, you know, deal with that issue? Sorry, can you say that again? I, I'm just saying, like, once we sort of get past, um, you know, say, like, when uh, the rent subsidy, the federal rent subsidy starts winding down, and if these rates maybe improve a little bit or maybe but they don't quite go back to where they were when do you start you know thinking about uh you know these tenants like in terms of what to do with some of these tenants who have been lagging let's say on payment oh i mean each one really is an individual but you know it's an individual by individual case if you saw you know the range of tenants like the that um, would be included in what you said. I mean, you know, each one is going to have its own tailor-made, you know, kind of, you know, solution. And you got to remember, we're also developing. So in some cases, you know, we'll want to move things, tenants around. So there'll be a lot of things going into that decision. But um, I don't know, Rudy, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I was going to say, Tal, the other thing, too, that's happening simultaneously there will be a, I'm going to call it a trail-off of a very small proportion of that because everybody is adapting now, but there are a large number of tenants that are calling us up um, asking for space, which is why the occupancy has stayed so high. So when we look at, you know, the, 
the categories, the medical categories, the pet store categories, the dollar stores, uh, the drug stores are calling us up, uh, you know, the, the, the clinics, the LCBOs, and so on, um, winners, home sense expansions. There are a lot of tenants that are still expanding their footprint into our centers. Um, and that's why we were able to do, you know, upward of whatever, almost 200,000 square feet of, of, of releasing of space in Q, just in our Q1. Um, so there will be a churn like there is always every quarter. Um, and unfortunately, uh, tenants will adapt and they will get help from governments and us. Um, and, 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 some, and some will struggle through it. So uh, we will just keep introducing new tenants to the portfolio and keep our flexibility in our leases. Okay. Um, capital spending for this year, Peter, do you have like an approximate amount for maintenance development um, that you could offer for us to think? I mean, on, on the CapEx spending for maintenance, I, I don't want to sound glib, but it's, it's not a substantive number um, from the REITs perspective, Tal, uh, when we think about development spending. Uh, again, as Mitch said, this, this number is variable and really is a function of when we want to or not start projects. But at least for now, the expectation is for 21 to spend in the area of about $200 million. And that's on the balance sheet and in the JVs? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Sorry, when I say spend, I, what I really mean is commit to spending as our share of, of projects. Okay, got it. Okay. Um, and then just, on the on the development side, I I'm just wondering, like you know, when you announced Transit City Six, uh, you know, the launch of that last night, that's going to be another condo building. How are you feeling about condos versus purpose-built rental right now? Again, that depends on where. I mean, but good. I mean, there's lots and lots of places. The answer would be good. Um, and there's you know, there's some places who would be on the condo, you know. Not so interesting, but it's it's interesting. Um, usually, you know, most of the places where the condo is not particularly necessarily interesting, it is interesting from a rental res point of view. And you know, generally speaking, wherever the rent the uh, condo is viable, uh, so is the uh, multi res. So, but um, yeah, I mean, even in places. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have thought, you know, a con you know, a condo was viable. Um, there's, um, there's, there's interest. A lot of our centers are in these communities just outside, you know, the core, um, you know, what are now becoming very desirable. They were already, they were already desirable. Just uh, the Toronto world doesn't necessarily brush up against, uh, you know, the Cambridges of the world. But we have um, very strong positions in those places, and uh, we've noticed a, uh, you know, strong increase in demand for our residential there, um, you know, before we've even started, and that's from the residential development community. Uh, and you can also see some of the other launches in these communities as well um, that, uh, you know, you can see some of the strength in some of these, these markets. So, you know, some, some, some of these places we'd say there wasn't much of a condo, an interesting condo opportunity are now looking like there is. Okay. <clears throat> and I guess my last question um, I think like when I thought about, you know, how d development would unfold at smart centers, that it, it was going to be really focused on intensifying the existing properties. And, you know, certainly there is a lot of that going on. 
There also has been, however, like some, uh, you know, projects that you guys have taken on that have been outside. Like I'm thinking about the the Barry uh, project with Greenland. You've got another one in downtown Toronto, I believe, with them. Um, how, like, can you just talk to me a little bit about like why choose, you know, why commit to those kind of projects versus, um, you know, the stuff where you're sort of staying closer to lo closer to home on, you know, uh, as you said earlier, the land you developed and, you know, the land you know the best. Yeah, well, you know, it's not so much just that we know the land the best. It's just we don't want to pay a market price to, you know, our growth is not going to be, uh, you know, kind of uh, giveth and taketh away. I mean, you know, it's just you know, an exercise and just exercising. So um, that's along with we do know our properties intimately, but we know those markets intimately. I mean, we've been in Barrie, uh, for example. First of all, I grew up in the summers in Barrie on Kempenfeld Bay. And um, secondly, the first Walmart that I ever opened was in Barrie. And then we went on to do numerous other developments in Barrie. I mean, we know that market intimately. So the location, the property in downtown, you know, on the lake, on the waterfront in Barrie, we know that. We were also looking at a senior's home around there. So that's an easy, natural kind of sort of extension of what we're doing there. Um, and that's probably true with most markets across the country that are over, say, you know, five or 10,000 people. It's principal population. Um, but, um, but you know, it's a very, you know, it's a valid question. Why would we buy in at market? That's really, to me, the issue. And we won't be doing a lot of it. Just won't be. But those were really fantastic opportunities. One, Barry, the price was right. And the property was right. And we believe Barry is going to be very interesting. So keep an eye on it. You know, widening the highway that goes increasing. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, all the things that are happening with COVID. There's a lake. Um, it's, it's going to be an interesting market in the next 10 years, 20, 10, 10 years and beyond. And then, uh, Bill Oil, that's the other one we bought in at market. And, um, it's, uh, it was an opportunity that Greenwind had unique to them uh, to buy it from partners that go back 50 years. They had a right after so many, I can't remember how many decades, they called us and said, do we want to? Otherwise, it would have gone to the market, and uh, I'm sure it would have, you know, who knows what it would have gone for, but we thought it was a unique opportunity. So those are the sort of stories behind those two, but um, there's a million things, of course, that we say no to, um, you know, so we are very, very much, uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's, we are very much sticking to our to our knitting like you were like you were saying. Okay. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Have a good week. Thanks, Tom. You too. Thanks. All right. And uh, that was the last question we had in the queue. Okay. So we'll just close. And I'll again, thank you all for taking the time to participate in our first survey, 2021. And uh, please, all of you, continue to stay safe. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the Smart Center's REIT Q1 2021 conference call. Thank you for your participation and have a nice day. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live
live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.